One day, there was a Pharisee called Simon, and um, he invited Jesus to lunch. And uh, they were all reclining at the table there, and uh, a woman came in, a woman of the street, actually a prostitute, came in. And she was carrying this beautiful jar of very rare perfume. And she knelt at Jesus' feet and started to cry. And then she wept. And as she wept, her tears just were falling down on Jesus' feet. And so she dried them with her hair and started to kiss his feet. Simon, the Pharisee, started to think to himself, okay, this guy can't be a prophet. (laughs) If he was sent from God, then, well, he'd know what kind of woman that is. (laughs) Jesus um, knew what he was thinking. And he said, Simon, let me just tell you a story. Simon says, oh, okay, good. Jesus says, well, there was this guy who decided to loan out some money to two people who needed it. He gave 5000 to one guy and 500 to another. And when the time came for them to pay it back, they couldn't. They just couldn't afford it. And guess what? He said, okay. I'm going to let you off the hook. You don't have to pay me back. Simon, out of the two of those, which do you think would love him the most? So Simon goes, well, of course, the one who owed him the most. Yeah, that's right. He says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I came in, to this meal. You didn't even offer me a bowl of water to wash my dirty feet in. This woman has been crying and washing my feet with her tears. When I came in, you didn't give me the customary kiss of greeting. This woman has been kissing my feet. When I came in, you didn't anoint me with olive oil, as is the custom. This woman has been pouring rare, expensive oil on my feet. This woman has been forgiven. She loved so much. Because the thing is, those who are forgiven a little can only love a little. And then Jesus said to the woman, You're forgiven. Well, the other guys around the table started saying to each other, who on earth does he think he is that he can forgive people? But Jesus just said to her, you're forgiven. Go in peace. Thanks, Mary. That's great. Am I on? I am. So surreal. Hello. Um, some of you will know me, but some of you won't have a clue who I am. So I just said to Grace, should I introduce myself? She's like, yeah. 
So I'm Gordy, and I've been part of the church here for 15 years. And um, yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? And uh, I'm married to Dave, who is there. And um, I have two small kiddies, Dylan, who is six on Tuesday and has just lost his first tooth. He's very excited. Uh, and Phoebe, who is three, but just wants to be six as well. And um, yeah, live in Oxford, part of the church, lead the worship team here, and um, work a day a week at Tyndale Community School, the best primary school in the whole world. Uh, and do a bit of singing teaching as well. So that's me. And I'm just going to share a little bit about the passage. Um, like Simon said, there's lots of things around the room. Some of you can't wait to get to them, and some of you are going, oh my gosh, I hope we run out of time. So, um, but there will be time, don't worry. Um, <laughs> so before we... Um, so this, is kind of, this is a familiar story to many of us, although there may be people here who've not heard it that much before. Um, it's quite a simple story, but I think it's quite profound, and it's got quite profound kind of things to teach us. So whether you're really familiar or unfamiliar, my prayer this morning is that God would give us listening ears. So I say to the kids, turn on your listening ears, um, to hear what he's saying to us corporately and individually, and um, to turn that conviction into action. And that's what we want this morning. So Before we look at the passage briefly, we'll just do a quick recap of Luke so far, because we've been looking at it since September, and obviously we look at it in chunks, and hopefully some of us are reading in the week or reading a commentary or whatever in the week, but um, it's easy to kind of lose sight of the bigger picture of what Luke's painting for us. So um, just really broad brushstrokes, but um, we've got, uh, so in chapters one and two, you've got the birth narratives of Jesus and John the Baptist, then you've got John preparing the way for Jesus, the voice of one shouting in the desert, um, and Jesus' baptism and temptation, like his preparation for ministry. Um, in chapter 4, Jesus' ministries kick-started, really, with him in the temple reading Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Um, it's kind of like his mission statement, really. He's saying, this is what I'm, this is what I'm about, everybody. This is what we're going to be doing. Um, he calls the disciples, starts shaping them, um, chooses out of them the 12 apostles. And then in chapter 6, you've got the Beatitudes, where he really starts letting people know what his agenda is and really what the kingdom is about. He's saying, you know, it's not about the rich, the good, the rule keepers. It's about the hungry and the weak and the poor and the marginalised. Um, so he just starts flipping things on their head, just to freak some people out a little bit. Um, he says it's about, in then the subsequent chunks, it's about loving your enemy, forgiving others, bearing good fruit, and building on a solid foundation. So then in chapter 7, where this story comes, it starts with uh, the Roman centurion, so non-Jew, outsider, kind of beatitude um, coming to Jesus, but full of faith, because he's heard and he's seen, and he knows that Jesus is the one that can heal his servant, um, which he does, of course, and he's commended for his faith, because that's one of the messages that seems to come through the book, is if you've got faith, it's not about who you are, it's about if you've got faith in Jesus, and you believe you can do something, then actually that's kind of your, <laughs> that's your entrance in, and you can receive the forgiveness. Um, so... Yeah, it's about believing what you see in here, um, and that's what he says to John the Baptist's disciples. He kind of sends them to him to say, are you the one we've been waiting for, or should we expect someone else? And he's like, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, what do you think, basically? <laughs> so that's the kind of, that's the background of where this story comes. Um, and yeah, it gives you a little bit of an idea of the picture that Luke's painting for us. So the story, um, I think outlines a few 
brief little things. The outrageous love of the woman, outrageous rudeness of the Pharisee, and the outrageous grace of Jesus. So Jesus accepts his invitation to go to Simon the Pharisee's house for a meal. He walks in, he would have walked in expecting water to wash his feet, um, a kiss from his host as welcome, and olive oil to anoint his head. That was standard. Um, you know, it's a bit like someone coming to my house and me being like, hi, how are you? Do you want a cup of tea? Like, that's my, <laughs> that's, that's how I welcome people. A little, little bit less elaborate. Um, but Jesus gets none of it, none of it at all. So if he didn't already know that he was at arm's length there, he certainly does then. He knows that he's there to be not welcomed in as a friend, but kind of observed and, you know, to kind of try and be worked out a little bit more. So that's a picture of, I guess, the outrageous rudeness um, from the sophisticated insider. You know, he was a Pharisee. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the in crowd. I'm good with God. I've ticked all these boxes. I do all the right things. He totally misses what he's meant to do. Pardon? Out? Down? Better? Okay, good. Um, so this is a sharp contrast to the... It's still doing it though, isn't it? Um, sharp contrast to the woman who's an outsider, like really an outsider. And it's like she's basically embodying the Beatitudes. It's like Jesus just said it's about, you know, the poor, the outsider, the marginalized. And she's like, and here I am. <laughs> it's like the first kind of glimpse of it, I suppose. Um, everybody knows who she is and not because of her good example. Um, and she knows what they're thinking. She walks in there knowing that they're all going to be like, what is she doing here? And her stomach, I imagine, anyway, would have been churning. Um, a bit like, I don't know, maybe Adam felt like this this morning. But when you've got something to share, you feel, well, how I feel, if God, I feel like God's given me something to share on a Sunday during the meeting, and I'm like, oh, I just don't want to do it. But the longer you wait, the more kind of unsettled you feel. Um, it's costly. And I think that's a little bit of the feeling she had. But she was compelled by love because she just had to express her thankfulness to Jesus Um, because she knows that she's been forgiven much. Um, From reading around a bit, it looks like a lot of commentators think that she'd already had an encounter with Jesus. It wasn't the first time she'd met him. She'd had an encounter. She'd experienced that forgiveness. And... um, but she just she couldn't leave it there. She knew how much he'd been forgiven, and she'd heard that he was going to be at Simon the Pharisee's house. So whether planned or spontaneous, she was like, I've got to do something here. I've got to go and see Jesus again. I've got to express um, my love to him and my thanks to him. Um, so she brings this beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume and pours it on his feet of all places. And when she finally gets to him and she kneels down to kind of do the act, she's totally overcome by emotion. Like the tears weren't, you don't plan tears, do you? The tears weren't planned, but she just, the emotion has to come out and it starts to flow. She can't stop them. Um, She uses her hair to dry his feet. She lets her hair down, which is the big no-no. Like no self-respecting woman let her hair down in public. That was like, probably for the Pharisees, further kind of were like, oh yeah, that's okay, because we know that's what you're like. That's who you are, kind of re-putting that label on her. But she doesn't care. She just kind of wants to make it better. She didn't mean to cry on his feet. And then kisses them and anoints them. And it says over and over again, Jesus says she hasn't stopped, you know, doing this. It wasn't a quick one-off, run out the room. She kind of stays and keeps going and... So it was a costly offering for her, financially, emotionally, socially, um, to express her outrageous love in a fairly outrageous way. She was used to the feeling of the shame and the scorn of the people looking at her, but that 
is about to change. That's already started changing. And it's about to change with what Jesus says. It's like he's peeling the label off her that society's put on her and is giving her a new identity and redeeming her identity. So Jesus knows exactly what the Pharisee is thinking, which I just love. He doesn't even ask. He's just like, I know what's going on. Um, and he's got a story up his sleeve just for him um, to try and explain what's going on, to try and explain that she's aware of her debt. He is unaware. Now, obviously, the Pharisee wanted to be right with God. He, like, his... His heart was right, even if his heart was hard as stone. He wanted to be right with God, but he just didn't realize he was missing the mark. And actually, it wasn't about him being able to do things to make himself right. It was about him accepting the grace, the outrageous grace of Jesus that actually wasn't just accepted for him, but was for the lady and was for anyone else that wanted to come to him. So Jesus is setting these new standards of, um, of love and forgiveness rather than that are freely given rather than having to be earned. So that's, that's all I have to say. So outrageous love, outrageous rudeness, outrageous grace. Um, and I think that God would like us to have a little think about our response to the passage. It's good sometimes to have some space to just listen and see what God wants to say to us. So there are two questions that I'm going to ask. Um, and give you a chance to reflect on and, the, and then the band are going to come and play a song for us to listen to and give us a chance just to yeah have our ears open to God and see what he's stirring in us after that Bex will come and explain what's going on around the room but the questions are who do we think we are most like in the passage obviously we all want to be like the woman but um, sometimes in reality it's easy for us to get our thinking a bit skewed, isn't it? And God needs to kind of straighten it up again. Like, do we recognize our great debts that we can't pay it? Do we think we've got to sort it out ourselves? So who do we, who do we think we're most like at the moment? And the second question, and I suppose the main question, is what does it look like for you, for us, to let our hair down in worship? God wants costly worship. He wants us to step out he wants us to walk across the room he wants us to not care what anyone else thinks to express the outrageous our outrageous love our love towards his grace so those are the two questions who do you think you're most like in the passage what's God saying to you about that and what does it look like for you to let your hair down in worship that will look different for different people I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to run around the room like a loony some people need to sit quietly and actually that would be very costly other people need to do something a bit more active so um there's no preconceived things here so let's have our ears open to god and listen to this song and see what he's saying your feet like an alabaster jar every piece of who I am laid before your majesty so I will bow my life 
my lips so lost for words will kiss your feet kiss your feet oh the gravity of you draws my soul into its I will never be the same I am lost and found in you And I will bow my life At your feet At your feet My lips so lost continuing to worship this is part of our worship and um it might feel a bit uncomfortable because it's not sung worship which we're used to but 
I want us to do it in the context of worship because this is what it is. And um, it's time to let down our hair. Like Gauz was saying, that will look different for each one of us, but I'm hoping that we'll have accommodated for most people um, because it's time to reflect on what Gordy was saying and keep listening to God. Um, There are five opportunities for us. Um, We're going to have about half an hour. We're going to have half an hour to do this. So um, there's an opportunity for a dance workshop with Laura, uh, which is going to happen out of this room. Um, If you want to do that, you need to go like straight away once I finish talking because she's just going to take the group. And that's going to happen just once in the half an hour, so you can't go and do something and then go and dance. It's the first thing you need to do. And um, we're really keen that people don't play to their strengths in these stations. Like, actually, if you don't feel like a dancer, then it's perfect, and you want to get moving, then this is the perfect time for you. Um, this is a time to be honest, like Steve was praying. It's time to be authentic, and it's uh, time to be vulnerable. So Laura's like, asked me to express very clearly this is not for just dancers, but for all people. Um, and then there are four stations, which is a word that Gaynor Shaw has left with us, and we can't shake it. So it's called stations. And uh, in the half an hour, you can do one two, three, or four. There are no rules. Um, in the far corner, we have a place for praying because we were really struck in the, uh, the passage of how much this worship costs the lady. And it made us think about just what about our worship is costly. And for so many people, worshiping in places in this world is really costly. And so we want to pray for people who are being persecuted, for being Christians. And there's lots of literature to inspire us there. And there's also places for writing notes of encouragement that will be sent to um, our persecuted brothers and sisters, which we can blue tack to the cross. You don't have to remember all this because there are prompts written on the stations and there are also people lingering with intent to inspire you. Um, Here with the trellises is a place for writing. We were struck by how emotional this woman was, like Gordy was saying, overcome by emotions. And um, just thinking about when was the last time we engaged our emotions during worship. So this is a place for writing psalms. Um, Psalms are brilliant because they're so full of emotional, authentic worship. It doesn't need to be a place for lament necessarily, but again, a place for being honest and writing. In this corner, we've got a place for washing and eating. Um, We just loved how this passage is like climaxing at forgiveness of sins. We've had people healed, people raised from the dead, and now he's forgiving sins. And so this is a place for um, confession to God. It doesn't need to be public. Um, Repenting, washing our hands as a symbol of what God's done for us, and then taking the bread and wine to remember what Jesus has done on the cross. And then lastly, I'm going to stop speaking in a minute. In this, on this station here, we've been reflecting on the question, who is this? After he says, your sins are forgiven, there's a babble around, like, who is this that forgives sins? And so on these bits of paper, we're going to write all the names of God that we can think of and reflect on those. Are there any of those that we struggle with? Like, you know, when you read God as healer, is that comfortable for you? Um, so this is a place for reflecting on who he is 
And also there are paints for those of us that want to draw or paint who God is to us. Um, I just want to encourage you to get stuck in. And it does feel a bit uncomfortable, but there should be something that works for you in letting your hair down before God.